Welcome to the Army Podcast. I'm Joel Applebaum, the Chief Content Officer for Army and also for Captive.com. And on today's podcast, we welcome Luis Delgado to discuss captive insurance in Latin America. Luis is the Regional Director of Strategic Risk Solutions, or SRS, and he's over Latin America operations. He's responsible for the oversight of SRS's LATAM portfolio and team and is actively involved in the management of several SRS Bermuda and Cayman domiciled clients. Lewis joined SRS in 2020 and has over 10 years of experience in managing large portfolios of captive insurance companies, commercial insurers, rent to captives, as well as segregated cells. So Lewis, thank you for being here with us and talking about captives in Latin America or LATAM as we say. And to begin with, we're curious to know if you are seeing an uptick in captive formations for LATAM companies. And if so, why are you seeing an uptick? Thanks, Joel, and, and happy to be here. Yes, we're seeing an increase in captive insurance company formations from Latin America. This is mainly driven by a couple of factors. One is obviously a higher rate, a higher market. So we're seeing our clients increasing premiums year after year. We're also seeing a reduced capacity for some lines of business as well, which which doesn't go along with the increasing premium. And we're also seeing tougher conditions when we're talking about the slips and the and the general conditions in the slips for our clients. So that is making our clients taking taking a look at different alternatives, taking a look at managing their own risks in a different manner. So they're going specifically to self-retention through a vehicle, which obviously we're seeing captives or self-formations from that time companies. Awesome. So is there a type of captive structure that's more commonly being used in your region in, in Latin America? Yes, we're seeing obviously the most common structure is the pure captive with the typical Latin American client uses it to obviously self-insure or insure the, the risk of its own group. Sometimes we have clients that need that vehicle fairly quick, pretty close to the renewal time. So we're also seeing an increase in, in the sales structures. SRS has multiple vehicles across all the domiciles or multiple domiciles where we operate. So it's a turnkey vehicle that most of our clients need can, can use and it's ready for them to use. So I would say those two, the pure captive and the sales, renting rent a, rent a captive sale is the most common structure seen for captives. We also have, not as common, but we're also seeing a, a, an increase in activity for the commercial reinsurers, there's uh, MGA setting up vehicles to take and retain part of their risks or, or their clients' risks. And we're also seeing a small increase in uh, insured tech space, which obviously for those two, we're talking about commercial reinsurers and, and third-party risk, but it's not the most common structure. So, so the pure captive on the sale for sure are, are well ahead. What domiciles are LATAM organizations most commonly forming their captives in and, and why? For LATAM companies, it obviously makes sense to set up their, their captives in offshore domiciles. 
This is mainly tax driven, although taxes are now the main driver to set up a captive. Bermuda and Cayman being the top two offshore domiciles in the market are the preferred options. Bermuda, of course, is the biggest domicile at the moment. It's obviously two equivalents, has a higher regulation and stronger reputation. Obviously, Bermuda cooperates with the OECD, which is the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development. So Bermuda is not blacklisted or graylisted. So we see typically the type of companies that are setting up in Bermuda are those that want the, the high reputation. We're seeing government-owned entities, companies that trade in, in any stock exchange uh, in LATAM or so that's the type of companies that we're seeing in, in Bermuda. Cayman, of course, very strong domicile as well. We're seeing a lot of interest from mid-size and family-owned businesses that are uh, have enough premium or enough muscle to, to set up a captive. So we're seeing a lot of interest in Cayman as well. And a kind of particular interest from Mexican entities or Mexican parent companies setting up in, in, in the U.S., specifically in Vermont and and North Carolina for, for those two. Great. I think that's a lot right there to, to unpack, but it sounds like to me there's domiciles, reasons to choose specific domiciles like Solvency 2 equivalent you mentioned. It works for certain organizations, potentially for reputational risk or whatever to be there, but there's other domiciles that are popular as well, and it depends on the needs of the particular entity and what they're trying to get. Is that is that a good takeaway for that? That is a perfect takeaway. And, you know, we, we have clients that approach us and, and they come and say, hey, I want to set up my captive in Bermuda. They, they have a domicile in their mind right off the bat. But what we'd like to do is obviously uh, in during the feasibility study process, that's when we do an analysis of at least three domiciles, two offshore, one onshore, and we compare we compare the three domiciles from a regulatory point of view, capital point of view, requirement in terms of service providers point of view, and we do a, a fair analysis on those, and it's, it's at the end of the day the client who's going to take the decision. But you're right, we have clients that come with Bermuda in their mind because of its strong reputation and, and to avoid any any risks on that area. But after a feasibility study is done, they may realize that maybe Cayman or maybe Vermont or maybe the, an onshore domicile in the U.S. is a better option for them. So the feasibility study is key for, for them to, for our clients to take a final decision on the domicile. So even in LATAM, the feasibility study, working with the right service provider is, is critical in making the determination what's the best fit for you. And quick question here, I'll throw this in. You mentioned to rent a captive and those might, for people with short timelines, is a feasibility study is still part of the process when you have a shorter timeline as well? Yes, yeah, okay. the feasibility study is key, is key for any type of client or any client that wants to set up a captive or a sale of our vehicle because there is a lot of questions to be answered there's a lot of decisions to be made and our clients 
typically want to have documentation and support in place before they take these decisions, right? So captive, of course, is a, is a long-term decision, is a long-term strategy, so it should not be taken lightly. One of the key areas of the feasibility studies, for instance, identify where the risk is located, where the parent is located, do we need a fronting company or not? And if we do, what companies are willing to do that or, or have, does the client have, has already, does the client have already a relationship with any student, student company or fronting company? We look at the financial projections, actuarial projections. And then, of course, there's also the legal side of it and tax side of it. So definitely a feasibility study should be performed. I will say no, no, we don't have any clients that come and say, hi, I want to, I want to set up a captive and I want Bermuda, let's go. It's, um, <laughs> there's a lot of questions to be answered and all of those are analyzed in the feasibility study. Great. I will throw one more question at you, Luis, because I want to make sure for Latin America, when you say onshore versus offshore, give me an example of what you mean. I know what we mean here in North America, but I don't, I'm not a hundred percent sure what you mean by onshore and offshore, including it in the proposal in, in LATAM. So help our listeners understand that for me. Right. So when we talk about onshore, we're talking about domiciles specifically in the U.S. When we talk about, when we talk about LATAM, very rare you see a Latin American company setting up in Europe or Asia. It doesn't make sense from a geographical point of view, from a time zone point of view. So when we talk about onshore, we're talking about domiciles within the U.S. Well, and now Canada, for instance, since we're now seeing domiciles with regulation in Canada. And when we talk about offshore, we're talking about Bermuda, Cayman, and Barbados. Got it. All right. Just wanted to make sure we were all on the same page globally. So that's great. Appreciate you gluing us in there. Thank you. All right. So... Is there a specific type of company in Latin America that is setting up captive insurance companies? Is it, what are you seeing there? Yeah, so it's mainly multinationals and big corporations, the type of companies that are setting up captives within LATAM. Let's not forget that LATAM is still an emerging market. I mean, the the captive concept is quite mature in, in the US and in Europe, but it's still not so common within Latin America. So only those companies with strong insurance and risk management departments that have proper knowledge of what a captive is, how it works, how it operates, uh, what are the benefits of that, are pulling the trigger and doing the feasibility study and setting up their vehicles. I still believe that LATAM is almost an untouched market. We still have a lot of massive corporations that operate in multiple countries within LATAM and even within within the U.S. that still don't have a captive. And, and those are the type of, of companies that should be setting up a, a vehicle to manage their risks better. We are seeing a small interest in in mid-sized corporations and family-owned businesses. I'm not saying we don't see it. We we have some interest uh, from those type of companies, but at the end of the day, is the stronger, the bigger uh, corporations that are setting up these vehicles. 
Excellent. I guess my follow-up question to that is what lines of insurance in Latin America are companies writing in their captives? What are, I think, based on the maturity model of captives in a country, it could be different, right? Where are you guys at? It's mainly property and casualties. It's the um, workers' comp is not so common to be utilized within a captive in Latin America. The health and employee benefits is also not too common to be used in, in Latin America compared to the U.S. market. I think there's still a lot of uh, of these risks that are compulsory to be placed within the local market, and only the most, I guess, sophisticated, uh, even insurers will will be setting up vehicles, for instance, a reinsurance company to to retain and write those those line of business, right, and, and health and life and, and workers' comp. But when we talk about the pure captives and, and the normal vehicles themselves that we're, we're setting up for our clients, it's mainly property and casualty. We're seeing some sabotage and terrorism. And we're also seeing an increase and in interest in, in DNO. And this is driven by the lack of capacity we had, we've, we've had in the market in the past couple of years. So we're now seeing some clients writing and retaining DNO within their within their vehicles, but at the end of the day, it's, it's mainly property and casualty, the the lines of business written by Latam companies. So property, obvious general liability is is the casualty, and workers comp not so much. Those are primarily placed in the in the local markets. And, and interesting, you know, we we have seen in in the U.S. especially, but even globally some easing this year I'm predicting easing in the DNO market. So be interesting to keep an eye on that and see how that how that changes in, in your market. What countries in Latin American region are we seeing captives used most? Is it does it vary by country? Yeah. The most uh, mature countries in terms of captive formations are Mexico by far. Mexico is the most advanced uh, country in terms of, of captive formations. There's, there's very long-standing captives that have been set up a long time ago for Mexico, and, and, and I will say that that's an ongoing trend. Second, we have Colombia. Colombia is also quite, even though it's a smaller country than than Mexico, and I will say a little bit less developed country compared to Mexico. Colombia is well ahead in terms of the knowledge of the insurance industry and the, the knowledge from, from risk managers and, and organizations when, when we talk about risk management. Third, I will say we have in an equal kind of line, Chile, and Brazil, and Argentina, some from Peru, but they're not the strongest. It's still pretty unknown the the captive concept for for those organizations for those countries. And Brazil has a pretty uh, restricted regulation locally that kind of prohibits or, or kind of holds back a lot of companies when they try to set up captives. So I will say Mexico and Colombia are by far the, the most advanced and, and and the ones setting up captives the most in Latam. Great. Well, are there challenges facing LATAM companies as they launch captive insurance? What are the top 
couple of challenges that you see? The number one challenge is finding a front-end carrier that is able to jump on board and participate uh, uh, within the structure that the client wants to set up. And this is mainly due to regulations in Latin America. We have countries, for instance, like Colombia, where in order for a company to to see the risk out of the country, it needs to be done by a, an approved reinsurer within the country. So you, we need a double fronting. You have, for instance, Chile, uh, in order for, for companies to, uh, for a reinsurance company to be registered within Chile, you need to have two ratings. So finding a rating, uh, sorry, finding a, a fronting company, it's the, it's the number one challenge. We can do a feasibility study for a client and uh, that it's it's feasible, that it's a great solution for a client. But when we go and try to find a fronting carrier to be able to place the risk and place it through, through those companies for, for them to be the captive, then we're seeing some denials. And, and some, quite frankly, some captive uh, projects have, have ended when we try and uh, find a fronting for these companies. That's number one challenge for sure. After that, uh, it's mainly capital capital constraints from our clients. We, I mean, we just went through a, a tough period a couple of years ago with with, with COVID. Uh, we're also seeing, obviously, uh, an increase in rates for our clients. So when when the time comes for them to capitalize their vehicles according to the program, then perhaps that capital is not ready there or is not in there. So they have to go and find different financial solution for that. So I will say those two. Great. All right. So how is SRS addressing any pain points as it works with LATAN companies and business owners to make their captive insurance companies successful? How do you find fronting companies when you run into those problems or other things that you do that address these pain points? Yeah. So I'll say that the number one and the first filter that we do is when we do the feasibility study, we don't try to make it feasible. <laughs> you know what I mean? Some mm-hmm. clients uh, want to set up a captive. They want a feasibility study done, but they want it to be feasible, even though it's not. So as an independent company, and by that we mean we don't do brokerage, we only do captive management. We don't hesitate to tell a client we perform a feasibility study and you know what, quite frankly, a captive project or a captive formation is not is not the best solution for you. So that's the number one thing we do before we even try to go and, and have conversations with, with fronting companies, with fronting carriers, or, or even try to uh, talk with different service providers and so on. So number yeah, one is... That's important though, right? <laughs> Exactly. That's so the key. The number one is that let, let's make sure the feasibility is properly done and it's a, it, make sure that the captive is the, it's the best solution for you. Once we 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 pass that and, and, and it's the time to set up the vehicle and, and, and organize the, the insurance program, then if the client doesn't have its own relationships with their own fronting companies and the current the current students that are issuing their paper, their, their local insurance companies at the moment, if they don't have a strong relationship with them, if they don't have the leverage 
to convince them to to continue issuing the programs, but now with a captive structure. We have uh, great relationships with a lot of different student companies and fronting companies that are willing to front for a lot of companies, multinationals. We have uh, fronting companies that are obviously they need to perform fronting for, for multiple countries. So I guess one of the benefits of working with SRS is that us being an independent company, most of our clients work with many different fronting carriers. So we have a great relationship with those fronting carriers and we're able to put our clients in touch and make introductions with with at least four or five different options to put on the table and and see if at least one of them is willing to front and make the, the project feasible. That's that's mainly the two key areas where we're trying to help our clients to, to succeed. Well, awesome. I think that this has been a great and very informative podcast on uh, Latin American operations. I think if our listeners want to learn more, they can go to captive.com. They can find a great deal of thought leadership produced by Strategic Risk Solutions or SRS, and they can reach out and find you if they want. So thanks so much, and we appreciate you listening, and please Tune in for more podcasts. Thanks so much.